0: leaves are falling and the jack-o'-lanterns are lit winter will soon be here but not before we face our fears embrace the darkness and ponder the oddities of the world welcome to the halloween episode of strange by nature we are kirk mona victoria thompson and rachel gimza armed with decades of experience we are pleased to bring you all that is weird and wonderful about the natural world everyone. Oh, I'm so Hello. excited. Oh, it is our, our <laughs> Halloween show. I'm Who is excited for Halloween? I'm so
1: excited Me. for Halloween. I love Halloween. Oh. I love it so much. It's so great. It's like two days before my birthday, after my birthday. So it's just woohoo. Yeah, it,
0: it's, it's, uh, it's, it's an extended celebration of Rachel's birthday, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. Uh, and That's how I treated a, a it magical, as a child. magical time of year. Oh, so.
1: so good. One of my favorite holidays.
0: Wonderful. Well, we have tried to, you know, this is our first Halloween episode on the podcast, and so (laughs) we thought it'd be fun. You know, we we talk about strange stuff, of course, every week, but we tried to go a little bit uh, either spookier or darker or even stranger this week and come up with some new topics for everybody, and I'm kicking things off. I will say mine gets a little on the dark side, so a bit of a sort of trigger warning, if you will. Um, my story does involve the death of a child and if that's something uh, or multiple so if that's something that would be uh, something you are not uh, wanting to hear right now I would suggest skipping ahead 10 minutes and then Rachel will be after me I know Rachel you mentioned your story
1: My, my story should be generally okay but it does involve the depiction of an illness so I definitely don't want anyone to be... You all have the benefit of knowing what our topics are going into it, but... Right, it's
0: right there in the uh, yeah. the, the show notes. Yeah,
1: just be
0: be cautious no, and be, be... safe, friends. Read the label. There you go. Read the label. Read the label on your podcast and your candy as we proceed. Are we ready? <laughs> We're ready. Only
1: always spook me. Kick us off, all
0: Kirk. Right. Well, I'm gonna take us back a number of years. I've been a professional naturalist for quite a long time. And one of the previous places where I worked, I was doing a lot of outreach. I was in fact the outreach coordinator, outreach naturalist. So I was always kind of out and about going to schools and things like that. And one of the schools that I worked with was a, a partner school of ours. And I would be there quite often, but sometimes the way their schedule lined up, I'd only be there for the morning. (laughs) <laughs> and then the kids would all go to lunch, and then I was I was done for the day uh, with that part of my job, and then I'd have to go back to the nature center. But the school was was kind of a long drive, and I didn't want to wait until I got all the way back to work because it was already lunchtime by the time I stopped. So I took to stopping off at a small local park to eat outdoors, which I'd love to do. It was it really beautiful little park. Yeah, it was on like a sleepy little road, so it was pretty quiet. There was always sort of some empty tennis courts a few picnic tables. It uh, wasn't a really a big park, but it was on a, a pretty little lake. Uh, and I'd eat my lunch and spend a few minutes maybe scanning the area with my binoculars to see what birds might be hanging around. And <coughs> not Nerd. being from the... Oh, very much so. But not being from the <laughs> neighborhood, um, I had no idea this park was home to a deadly killer. Oh, okay. I was having cool. my lunch at the infamous Lily Lake. Have you heard of Lily Lake before? I have. All right. Well, the first clue that something was perhaps a little different about this uh, this lake and uh, park was the white signs posted down by the water that read, No swimming and beach closed. And the reason why dates back to the year 2010. So let's start there. This predates Uh, my time
2: in Minnesota, so that probably explains Um, why I haven't heard about this.
0: All right. Well, the summer of 2010 was hot in a lot of places, including uh, Minnesota. And seven-year-old Annie uh, Bonneman, like many other children and families, was trying to cool off that summer, and she loved to swim. And as the summer wore on and the heat continued, her family swam in a lot of places. I know they swam uh, in the St. Croix River, which is nearby. They swam in Lake Carnelian and Lily Lake. Uh, and these are all in a town called Stillwater, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And all three of these were popular places to cool off and have been popular swimming locations, frankly, for hundreds, some of them probably, if not thousands of years. Right. So something unusual happened to Annie, though, in August. She started to feel sick. Uh, she got a fever that steadily increased to 104 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh. She ba- began uncontrollably vomiting, mm-hmm. which is... That's really Uh, not a good situation for a seven year old and her parents uh, got her in the car and rushed her to Children's Hospital, which is 30 minutes away in St. Paul. And she was having seizures in the car on the way there. Yeah. Uh, After being checked into the hospital, uh, she complained that her head was hurting quite badly. And she even started to hallucinate uh, when she asked her parents why there were all these animals in her hotel room. Boy,
1: you mean her hospital room?
0: in her hospital room and clearly there were no animals in her hospital room but she was she was hallucinating and seeing them there yeah when you have a fever Uh, that high
1: yeah
0: yeah it wasn't long after that uh she stopped talking and lost consciousness and she did sadly eventually pass away now doctors and the family decided on an autopsy to find out what had happened and the results frankly were terrifying Uh, annie's body had not been attacked by a virus or a bacteria. Oh. The autopsy was pretty clear. Her brain had been infected by brain-eating amoebas. <gasps> I remember yeah. when
1: this was a bit...
0: Oh, no. That's where I thought you were going with this. Yeah, so... Oh, this is one of the spookiest topics uh, that I could really think of here, and it is a sad one, but the culprit was... Uh, the culprit was Negleria phallerae. Uh It's an amoeba that grows in warm waters. Now, interestingly... Uh, This was the first ever case in Minnesota. And even at the time, there were concerns that there would be more cases as global warming increased Mm -hmm. and the chances of extra warm summers became more and more common. And it turns out that is exactly what has happened. In 2012, just two years later, a nine year old boy named Jack was also swimming in Lily Lake. And not long after, he, too, became infected with brain eating amoebas. Uh, Since then, there have been other cases uh, and the amoeba has now claimed the life of four children just in the state of Minnesota. And this is usually something that we think of happening uh, in more Southern climates where Mm -hmm. uh, water is generally warmer. Uh, Even in the summer in Minnesota, lakes are a place to cool off. They're pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So what happens is infection occurs when people get water up their nose. And we don't often think about it, but there are massive numbers of nerves connecting the inside of our noses directly to our brain. And we need those connections to help process olfactory information about our environment. But the amoeba are able to use those nerves as gateways directly into our brains. Uh, The symptoms I described for Annie are fairly typical. Uh, There may initially be some loss of smell, followed by high fever, vomiting, seizures, uh, hallucinations, and death within days. The amoeba and the according disease were discovered uh, back in the 1960s and there's been it's hard to get an exact number, but somewhere around 130 people that are known to have been infected uh, with this in the United States. Initially, there was you know, reports of only one person ever having survived. That's changed a bit more recently. Um, there are now four people who have known to have gotten these brain amoebas and survived. Now, most of these cases, incidentally, which is kind of interesting, have been from swimming. However, hmm. there have been cases of people getting brain-eating amoebas by using neti pots. Are uh, you familiar with what a neti pot is? Yep. I
1: am. Yeah.
0: Either, have you ever used a neti pot? Yes, no. I have. You have. All right. So for those of you who don't know, they're essentially like a little teapot with a spout on it that you stick in your nose, uh, and then you pour water in one nostril and let it drain out the other, I think is how it most typically is saline, done. yeah,
2: because it has to yeah,
0: be no, it's saline water, yes, yeah, uh, just uh, plain water up the nose burns very badly. Mm-hmm. It has you know, to like, be the same uh, concentration
2: of salts as is in your body
0: exactly, fluids. Exactly, yeah. So it should be a saline solution. Um, one of the problems is, you know, so I, sh- I should back up. So what happens then is, why you would do this is that water drains out, and it's a form of nasal irrigation to kind of flush out like mucus and make it easier to breathe if you have a sinus infection. The trouble is, not everyone does it correctly. As right. Victoria was saying, you have to use saline solution, uh, and not your contact lens solution. Oh my um, God, But no. <laughs> the water you're going to use has to be boiled uh, to make it as sterile as possible before putting it up your nose. Uh, you do not want to be putting tap water up your nose. We tend to think of tap water as being really safe, but there's all kinds of stuff in there. Um, there have been a number of deaths from neti pot use from things... Um, other than brain amoebas as well, when people use water that has not been, you know, boiled, boiled or just fail to keep their pot clean. And you get bacteria and stuff that breeds in there and then you're shoving that up your nose, which is not a good thing. Definitely not. Knowing what you know about uh, brain eating amoebas, the fact that two children have died just in Lily Lake, uh, would you swim in Lily Lake?
2: I wouldn't do I'd, a cannonball.
0: I'd wade. <laughs> All right. You know, I, I say I have not swam there. Um, but you know where I did swim as a child is at River Country in Disney World down mm-hmm. in Florida. The water park attraction. It was essentially oh, built sounds... into Lake Buena Vista. It was super fun. It's been shut down now. It doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. But it was a really great water park. And the water of the water park was untreated lake water. <laughs> and sh- sure enough... An 11-year-old died after swimming at Lake Country back in 1980. And he was, amazingly, the fourth child to die from swimming in water in Florida in just that one year (laughs) from brain-eating amoebas. That's a lot. So that was a pretty bad year in Florida. Now, I did not visit Lake Country, uh, or sorry, River Country, it was called, in Disney, uh, until probably around 1985. And millions of people had swam there since. 1980 with no problems, mm-hmm. uh, and it was open for 21 years after the incident with no further problems. Yeah. So, you know, it it is a pretty rare thing. Uh, some people I've heard do still swim in Lily Lake in the city of Stillwater, although the city did permanently close the beach, probably mostly out of fear of liability. They were actually sued after the second child died. Um, and the truth is that while brain-eating amoebas are deadly and you know very scary the chance of getting infected is extremely rare. Mm-hmm. And so it all comes down to risk assessment from a disease standpoint. Um, you know, there's things we do every day that are far, far riskier than swimming in water that has this amoeba in it. It's actually quite common. It, is, it, it can be found in a lot of different waterways or in you know, lakes and ponds and things. Anytime you have um, relatively shallow bodies of water that can get warm, the warmer it gets, the more they multiply. Um, but I did find out that Lily Lake is 44 feet deep at its deepest. So not, not like that's, the... That's pretty... The sha- it yeah, not, that's it's pretty a shallow deep. little tiny pond. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do want people to think, you know, if you're like, oh my gosh, I am never going swimming again. Uh, that might be where my th- brain is, Kirk. Think of all the millions of people who've gone swimming since we identified this amoeba back in the 1960s. And only about 130 people have died. Uh, Hmm. I did not look up the statistics, but I'm guessing more people than that have drowned. Oh, for sure. Right? So, you know, the risk of getting in your car is far more risky. Yeah, driving to your local swimming hole is far more risky than than getting this. Um, The risk is extremely small. Now, that being said, when the summer gets hot and the water gets warm, it is best practice to keep your head above the water and amoebas out of your nose. Yeah. So that's my... Sort of spooky story for Halloween. Well, thank you, Kirk. Exactly. I you know, do luckily, remember when it's it not. Down, it's going to be for most people, our listeners, uh, if you're listening to this one, it's fresh. Uh, and if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, it's not a great time to go swimming much outside, anyways. It's getting colder in a lot of places, but uh, don't worry. Summer will come back. Is that a threat? <laughs> Up next, we have Rachel who's got a spooky story for us. <laughs> kirk here with a quick note if you're enjoying the show be sure to subscribe and leave a five star review it helps other lovers of the strange find our show you can also find and follow us on social media search for strange by nature podcast on facebook twitter and instagram or come visit us at strange by nature podcast.com we'll see you there now back to the show
1: Alrighty, everyone, welcome to the part of the podcast where <laughs> Boy. I do not speak in that accent the entire time. Oh, thank oh, I goodness!
0: Could do the whole thing that way.
1: No one would understand what I was saying at all. But it does uh, give us a little. Oh, no, I can honest. understand what
2: you're saying. I just might reach across the screen and slap you. <laughs>
1: But it does uh, lead into my topic fairly decently. Okay. I'm talking. A, I'm going to start us off with a a phenomenon known as the uncanny valley effect.
0: Oh my! All right. Uh, I'm very familiar. Go for it. But, All right. So this okay. is
1: this is just the 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 start. we're not going to... Okay. Actually, it's not the not whole my topic. topic. Yeah. Okay. So, generally speaking, the Uncanny Valley effect is where it happens a lot when it comes to, like, AI or robotics or things of that nature.
0: It's Like, computer-generated graphics a lot, too. Yes. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Like, uh, a few years ago, there was a lot of flack. Uh, welcome. I am millennial. I did not see this movie, but... Uh, People were really unnerved by uh, Renesmee and Twilight Breaking Dawn. Uh, The baby looked unsettling, uh, and that's part of the Uncanny
0: (laughs) Valley effect. I could not tell you. I think it was just the
2: name, honestly.
1: Honestly, it should have. Yeah. Uh, I didn't so see So can you movie, describe for people but...
0: what, what, what this is, though? Like, what, yes. What makes it unsettling?
1: So generally, it's an effect uh, in your brain that is happening, actually, where it's something that looks human, and it might act mostly human, but it isn't human. You know it's not human. Right. It's basically where... You're like you have something that looks like human, but maybe it smiles too big or maybe its moves are too smooth.
2: My understanding is it's like where there's a a computer generated image of a human that is quite realistic, but not completely realistic. So there are just enough subtle differences that it something is off and it makes you Anxious to look at it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and even the closer it comes to being correct, mm-hmm. like the creepier it is. Right. Exactly. Because if you have some sort of monster that's just really out there, you're like, okay, whatever. Or if, if it's you th- like you can't put your finger on it, but something's wrong. Right. Yes. Like, or if you think like, about just, traditional
2: animation creepy. of of human figures, like it's a cartoon, it's not supposed to look exactly like a human, right. so mm-hmm. it's not creepy. But if it's supposed to look exactly like a human,
0: but it doesn't quite.
1: It unsettles you. Yeah,
0: I can, I can, I can, I can one up you here for all the nerds out there. Sophia, Princess Leia at the end of Rogue One. Oh, yeah. really? The reason it looked wrong is that she fell into the Uncanny Valley, where you're like, it looks like her, but something is wrong, and because it's computer animated, mm-hmm. and you couldn't probably, unless you were a professional animator looking at it, you probably couldn't put your finger on why it didn't look right but you knew something was wrong and it just made it, you're like, Oh, that something's off and it's creepy. Right. That is not Carrie Fisher. No.
1: Yeah. And it's just, scientists have been looking into it and there's actually some really interesting research happening about, uh, what happens in the brain when humans are confronted with this. But I wanted to, there's been a lot of debate about what, causes this effect why do we have this ingrained it's a pretty more or less universal effect across humans as a species we all get this feeling and generally speaking uh humans as a species when you have an effect like that it means something maybe in our past or we evolved to have the uncanny valley effect when right, right. Mm-hmm. The, because there was a predator or some sort of threat that um put pressure on us being able to recognize that's not right.
0: <laughs> right. It's um, a survival thing.
1: Exactly. Uh, and there's a lot of thought about behind it, including like people with physical disabilities or the point in the past where it wasn't just Homo sapiens on the earth. Uh, there was many iterations of Homo sapiens, including uh, Homo neanderthalis. and, uh, as well as several others that I don't
0: remember all the names of. Where... Sure, sure. There's closely related species where you're like, well, that looks kind of like my species, but something's off.
1: Exactly. But the thing is about those particular debates that I don't really appreciate is that there were there has been historical evidence of humans interacting with those species and even interbreeding mm-hmm. with manatees, uh, oh, yeah. as well as like uh, when it came or caring t- with two, as well as caring for people with physical or um, mental disabilities in, as part of their tribe, they didn't leave them behind. They kept the, they kept them alive sure. as well. They were part of the community. So I want us to. I honestly, I'm going to be real here. This idea came to me uh, in the form of a Tumblr post, but I've done more research into it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and you want to know what's scarier that would cause an uncanny valley effect? Uh, okay. Is... Like
0: what, what, would, what would cause us to have that inner evolutionary history, you mean? If it wasn't yeah. Neanderthals?
1: If it wasn't Neanderthals. Mm, Neanderthals. Neanderthals, yes.
0: Ooh. Um, um, like I don't want to say aliens. I doubt that's where you're going. Mm-hmm. Maybe,
1: mm-hmm. maybe a friend of yours got bit by something on a hunt, and they start to twitch and sway.
0: What? Maybe, maybe well, they are start you talking about werewolves.
1: No, but the <laughs> vampires. No. Uh, maybe maybe they start to trip over nothing, they fall out of like trees or anything like that. Their like epilepsy. Just, they, their balance is completely out. Okay. Rabies. Uh they don't seem to be bothered when they fall. Uh, oh. Your friend I don't also know where you're going with doesn't this. seem to want to eat or drink either. Just seems to be in a ton of pain. And, and overall, just so something's wrong with something is friend. wrong with your friend and it's happening okay. over the course of a longer period of time. And it just something just isn't right.
0: This is like, like they're going for a walk in the Uncanny Valley.
1: Yeah. So they're going through the walk in the Uncanny Valley. And it's it's scary because, like, your friend, you know, is human, but they smile just a little too wide and it or stare you down when they shouldn't. And, Kirk, you already guessed it.
0: Rabies. Rabies. Oh, Oh my gosh. Rabies is terrifying. So scary.
1: So rabies is a potential uh, reason or any type of disease like prions or maybe even the uh, amoeba that you were talking about, too. Right. Diseases in general like that where your friend who you've known for a long time, all of a sudden starts just acting bizarre and strange, that would cause a lot of pause in humans, enough where if someone is sick... For example, rabies is a super infectious disease, and it relies on being able to bite or pass saliva through to another host, okay? Right. Mm -hmm. If there are diseases and your friend gets sick... And you're not sure what's wrong with them. In that way, uh, it can cause an uncanny valley effect. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about... It, there are some ways where it, it causes a little... It, it has a little more credence. But I really just wanted to talk about rabies. And it does have some yeah. uh, thought process when it comes to... Or thought process. It does have... Um. The evidence that I found, it has some connection with the uncanny valley effect and how that would oh, be boy. evolutionary pressured <clears throat> into
0: us. Let's talk about chewing Let's on talk. human
1: Let's, <laughs> Let's talk about rabies. So rabies is a viral disease. Uh, what it does, in, and it's only in mammals. Um, generally speaking, it uh, causes inflammation of the brain in the mammal itself. Okay, how you get it is uh, a rabies-infected animal uh, and rabies itself is actually caused by a family of lyssa viruses um, and if you are bitten or scratched by an animal that has this virus in its body, it will transfer over to you. Um, Saliva will also uh, transmit rabies if it comes in contact with eyes, mouth, or nose. Uh, Generally speaking, dogs are the most common animal involved with rabies. Um, Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people talk about bats. It's not bats. It's, it's-
2: Worldwide it's dogs, but in certain areas of North America. Bats are it the most common ones that transmit it, right?
0: Bat, it's it's yeah. very, well, it, it's it's very rapidly fatal in bats. So, yes. like, they don't, dogs can walk around for a while with rabies, where when bats get it, it's fatal pretty fast. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: And rodents are actually very rarely infected with rabies, uh, which I actually learned somewhat recently because I uh, someone brought in a squirrel to work and it was, it acted really bizarre. It was... Um, tilting to the side and just couldn't it started spinning around in circles
0: in circles yeah that's uh, very
1: common and I was very much like that that, that might be rabies uh, and it it wasn't we brought it to the wildlife rehab center and they were really optimistic and no it's not rabies I'm like oh okay cool now um, the rabie, the term rabies comes from uh, the latin term rabies uh, meaning madness or to rage um as well. And generally what happens is after that scratch or bite, um the period between when you get infected and when the first symptoms happen is generally 1 to 3 months when it's in humans, but it can be as short as 4 days to as wow. long as 6 years, depending on the Whoa, location. 6, the- six years. Mm-hmm. Six I years. I did not
0: know
1: that. Depending on the location or how bad that ru- that wound was and the amount of virus that was actually introduced into the body.
2: it wow. It travels up the peripheral nerves, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah.
1: So initial symptoms are super nonspecific. Generally, you'll have like a, a fever or a headache because like I said, it's inflammation of your brain. So the first thing that your brain is going to try to do is fight off that virus Um, so what will happen is you'll get that fever and the pressure will give you that headache. The fever is your body trying to fight it off. Um, as it progresses, uh, and causes more inflammation, uh, of the brain and the meninges, which are those nerves that Victoria was talking about, um, symptoms can include slight or partial paralysis, anxiety, insomnia, confusion, You can become agitated very easily. You're going to have abnormal behavior. Maybe you're doing things that you would never do otherwise. Uh, You might be super paranoid. You're going to be scared. You're having hallucinations. And one of the most common ones is a fear of water. Because if you start drinking water, you're actually diluting the virus and getting to go down Mm -hmm. into your stomach acids and things. So that way it actually, like,
0: builds up. So you get bit by something, uh-huh. you become rabid, you become mm-hmm. afraid of water,
1: you become afraid of water,
0: you become a werewolf, basically. Is what More
1: you're that is actually some uh, thought uh, behind Bravi's is is uh, that might be where the whole werewolf, werewolf thing came is from. coming from. Yeah. So we're getting a two. What for a ahead. great Halloween tie-in.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, just a just a real quick correction. Meninges is actually the the covering of the brain and spinal cord, not peripheral nerves. Uh, Thank you, Victoria. Sure. No problem.
1: I said it and I'm like, "Mm, appreciate you. Uh, But generally what is happening too when you have that fear of water, um, it's this is much later stage of the infection. Right. You actually have a difficult time swallowing and you actually get a panic you actually are afraid of any sort of liquid um and this is throughout any mammal it's not just humans you will see it with dogs you'll see it with uh you'll see it with raccoons um those are some of the more common ones that i know of that would have rabies uh whales whale what
0: (laughs) Okay, they're mammals. They Can you are, imagine but uh, if, oh if you got, if a whale got rabies. They're in
1: water, though. They're
0: in, oh, how terrifying would that be? That'd be so bad. Moving right along. Oh,
1: uh, anyway, so like they cannot swallow saliva and water, and it has a higher chance of being transmitted. Um, and it uh, multiplies and accumulates in the salivary glands um, and is transmitted primarily through biting. So, if you drink water oh. and things like I said, it will dilute that concentration. Um, you can so also. So, Rachel. Oh, go ahead. Yes. Sorry.
2: Go ahead. Never mind. Uh,
1: you can also uh, end up with a paralytic form of rabies, which is muscle weakness, loss of sensation, and paralysis. Um, but that particular type of rabies actually doesn't cause a fear of water. So, there are different types of rabies as well which is crazy. What's your question, Victoria?
2: Just how fatal is rabies?
1: As soon as hip symptoms uh, are shown and are are you can see that you have that headache, you have any of the symptoms that I just talked about, you're going to die. It is yep. 100% fatal.
0: You know, except, except except, yeah.
1: Uh, there is there has been some supportive treatment that has been shown in very few cases uh, to allow the person to overcome rabies, but it is a months long process and it's super expensive to do to even go through um,
2: the Milwaukee protocol.
1: It's the Milwaukee right. protocol.
0: And generally and speaking, is also. So there's also a um, some thought that there may be some people in the world who have a natural resistance mm-hmm. to rabies um, from having generations of families living uh, in areas that have uh, high incidence of rabies, um, which is something pretty new that they're they're looking into because um, there have been I want to say it was in South America, uh, but don't don't quote me on that yeah. uh, that there was uh, a number of um, so small groups of people who seem to have some sort of natural defense against it. And researchers want to study that a lot because that would be, that'd be huge, very valuable to understand. Yeah. Uh, to save a lot of people's lives. Wow. I didn't know that.
2: That's interesting. Yeah.
0: That's yeah. Beautiful. And the Milwaukee
2: protocol, basically like you put the patient into a medically In a, induced coma for months. Yeah. Right. For months,
1: yeah. Yes. Uh yeah. And it's pretty much to prevent um it. it the overall protocol is super complex, but it's it's to prevent Stalker. the uh autonomic nervous system from shutting down pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they put them in that coma and they start using antiviral medications. But it, it takes months and seventeen. It's it's the sixth version that was uh, came up in. Uh, 2018 is 17 pages with 22 steps of treatment, detailed monitoring and timeline of expected complications that happen. Um, But
0: don't, don't get bit, don't get bit.
1: Or if you do get bit go and especially if you know that animal had rabies, you need to go and get your vaccine. Uh, They do have a series of shots That will help prevent. But if you end up uh, showing neurological symptoms,
0: you're more or less done. Mm -hmm. So, now, did I am I remembering that one of the symptoms too is that like you also get the desire to bite things and people? Yes. And that's That's the disease fascinating
1: trying to get you to bite other people. All right. One thing that I found amazing amazing how that really is pushing you to go uh forward and progress the disease and other and keep it alive throughout the population one thing that i found really fascinating while while researching rabies which are r.i.p my search history um is the fact that it actually doesn't exist in some pacific island countries uh and it's not found uh, in antarctica which I did not know.
2: Well there are no land mammals in Antarctica, are there?
1: Well, okay. I knew that about uh <laughs> Antarctica, but some of the Pacific Islands uh do not have any things at all, which is fascinating. Hmm.
0: All right.
1: But that's all I have for you today. So we're gonna take a quick break and go to Victoria.
2: All right. Well, we're back. Both of you chose really disturbing diseases for your Halloween episode.
0: True enough, yeah. Uh,
2: I'm going with Fair. something that's that's more of a, I'd say more of a traditional strange by nature topic, but just, you know, a little Halloweened up. Um, Is it I'm more fun? Are you of... bringing, bringing us up after our downers here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yay! I'm returning to a couple of, you know, highly phobia-inducing animals that I've talked about before in a couple of different contexts. Spiders? Uh, is it spiders? Spiders and snakes. Two great All tastes right. that taste great together. Uh, this time, uh, I am talking uh, about...
0: Uh, wow. Okay.
2: okay. Spiders <laughs> that eat snakes. What?
0: Yes. Wait, okay, hold on. Hold on. Spiders that, that eat, eat snakes. Snakes. You heard Not that snakes right? That eats... Okay. That is,
2: right. is. Is it uh, like a tarantula? This was surprising to me, too, but apparently it is not uncommon. You know, my first thought when I heard about this was, the average snake is a lot bigger than the average spider. How does this Correct. work?
1: That's where my mm-hmm. brain
2: is, yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, I knew about spiders that can catch small fish, maybe frogs, uh-huh. but somehow snakes seem uh, not only bigger, but, how to put this, more thrashy, this a, li- a, little, right, yeah. a little harder you know, to I d- catch. I don't picture
0: them, like, say, getting caught in a web or something like that. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you're also, so like, they're also so much longer and harder to... Don't fly,
0: except for the one the flying snakes you talked about <laughs> right. in a previous episode. So if it's those snakes that are flying through the air <laughs> off the tree and getting caught in a massive web, I'm excited to hear about it.
2: That'd be... Uh, well, that'd stay be tuned. What? Okay. So according to an article in the Journal of Arachnology arachnology that was published in May, there are more than 40 species of spiders from 11 families that have been observed to catch and eat snakes. So this is definitely possible. a
1: a lot more.
2: uh, That's a
1: lot more spiders than I was expecting. Not just the
2: one or two, yeah. As a side note, I love this study. So the methodology was basically to scour the Internet for pictures of spiders catching and eating snakes. I love that. (laughs) One third of their examples were from the scientific literature and two thirds were from social media. But um, yes, (laughs) there are some truly amazing photos. So if you have a stomach for it, I really urge you to check out this paper. It's called Spiders, parentheses, Arachnida araniae, feeding on snakes, parentheses, Reptilia squamata.
0: And it's by (laughs) Martin. Can we... Oh can we get this on TikTok or where do we find the paper? Oh it's it's uh it's
2: in the Journal of Arachnology. It's it's a f- full text is available
0: for free. Oh, I thought
2: I'm sorry, Yay! I thought that was like a t- TikTok yeah, channel or n- something. No. No, they haven't oh, yeah. quite gone that far. Um, the authors are Martin Niffler and Jay Whitford Gibbons. So, they analyzed all these uh all these pictures and 60% yeah. of the encounters involved the Theridiidae, I had to look up how to pronounce that one. Uh, so Latin, everyone. So that's I, don't f- know,
0: I don't even know if that's the snake or that's the spider. That's the spider. I'm hoping it's the f- a spider. Okay.
2: It's a spider family. It includes the black widow spiders.
0: Of course oh, it does. Okay. Mm-hmm.
2: So in mm. fact, four North American species of widow spider are some of the major heavy hitters when it comes to snake catching. They build huh, these really? Uh, really strong, they call them tangle webs, so not like the typical spider web shape, but just a, okay. a tangle uh, and they yeah, have these not vertical orb, yeah, not an orb. Yeah. Um, they have these kind of vertical bars that go down to the ground from the main part of the web, so the snake can actually get stuck even if it's going along the ground. huh okay but then they actually will hoist the snake up to the main part of the web which can be up to 120 centimeters off the ground for like the, that's sorry. around four feet they're oh, hoisting no, no. The
0: snake. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What? Well, okay, so yeah, I, I gotta know i gotta ask i'm sure you're gonna talk about this but what size snake are we talking about? Like? We're, we're yeah, getting there. Small Kirk. snakes? We're okay. getting there. Okay. First, thing, I'm gonna talk yeah, about condas. other kinds of
2: spiders. Okay. okay. So the next most common group of snake catching spiders was tarantulas. Okay, not a big surprise. They're right. the biggest They're and strongest spiders. They catch birds. Yeah. And they don't build webs, they they actively hunt. Mm-hmm. So you can you can kind of maybe see that. Uh, so the sure. third badass group of spiders uh, were large orb weavers. We talked kind of about orbs, that typical,
1: typical stereotypical spider
2: web shape. Interesting. And an orb weaver caught the largest snake on record in this study. Uh, The snake was a meter long. And it it weighed up to 45 (laughs) grams, which is like an ounce and a half. That's... What?
0: Wait, hold on. Hold on. Those two things are incongruous in my brain. I know. It, it was a meter long, but it only weighed forty-five <laughs> grams. These are some
2: skinny snakes.
0: Forty-five. Kirk. Yeah. Okay. That's like that's 45, forty-five paper clips. Okay. For those playing at home, yeah, that's forty-five jumbo-sized paper clips. That's that's nothing for a, a four-foot-long snake. So, you know, first
2: of all, I'm oh. going to say that their methodology was based on. Uh, evaluating the
0: photographs. Right. Do they print the photograph out and weigh the photo? Is that <laughs> <No>. how they
2: <laughs> I, that I was came a up with like a heavy cardstock? I was a little thrown That's off by the weights and the stock. lengths. Did too. they
0: forget a zero on the end of the 45
2: Mm-hmm. I, I this is this is something I was a little a little thrown off by in the paper too, and I I don't know how to resolve it. I don't know if the weights right. are wrong, my my mental schema is wrong, or what, but uh, you know, the average size of snake caught by a spider in this study was not huge. It was the average length of this is about 26 centimeters, which is about 10 inches. Okay. Still impressive. Yep. Still, yeah, still impressive. Still this decent. But here's the thing. Most of the snakes that were caught were just hatched or were juveniles. Um, uh, I was wondering mm. about that. Okay. Yeah.
1: And I think here. those tend to
2: have a low body weight for their length. So mm-hmm. uh,
0: they're, all right. they're all right. still
1: yeah. trying to figure out what to do with their bodies.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, baby spaghetti noodles. Yes. Um,
2: and generally, yeah. you know, there was a there they did a correlation. So generally, the larger the spider, the larger the type of snake they were able to catch. Although it was not a super strong correlation. OK. And obviously, web strength is also going to be a factor here. Very uh, much. But let's talk about venom, shall we? of yes, the spider please. i want yes. to say again how much i love this paper one of the section titles was clash of the venomous black widow spiders versus venomous snakes
0: oh, oh yes this, this is like one of those uh we... schoolyard conversations you know pirates this. versus ninjas totally. or something
1: totally oh absolutely can can we like we should link this on our social media if we can because this sounds like a great paper
2: yes other than the weight of the snakes, which I'm a little skeptical about. Right. At any rate, <clears throat> all spiders are venomous, but you know about half the spiders involved in this, in the snake catching, were species that make really potent neurotoxins. You know, some of these being famous ones like black widow. Right. Amazingly, about thirty percent of the snakes caught were also venomous, including coral snakes, rattlesnakes. Yes. Uh, fertilances and Australian brown snakes, which are the most toxic snake in the world to Yikes. humans. Well, yeah, Ooh. Uh, okay, no, thank you. Nope, I'm good. However, hard pass, you know, if you think about it, uh, it's not very likely that a snake would bite a spider no. normally, no, and there's it's no record of that happening in any of these cases. Uh, And in addition, the venomous snakes that made up most of the spider food here are specialized to vertebrate prey. And so, you know, although there is not really research into this, uh, (laughs) although maybe now there will be, it's it's quite possible their venom wouldn't really work on an invertebrate like a spider anyway. Interesting. Right. But the spiders do have venom that can affect vertebrates. So they can... Paralyze and kill um, their their
0: serpentine prey.
2: And finally, it's, that's it's horrifying. Halloween. I guess
0: I, I'm I'm just picturing when you're out trick or treating and people put up like the giant spider webs, <laughs> which yard, are wrong, by the way. Which are which are like terrifying enough, but now I'm picturing like with a venomous snake. snake stuck in that web along <laughs> with the spider. Yeah. And that's eh, yikes.
1: Thanks for the idea, Kirk. The final question in my house
2: that some of our uh, listeners, readers, viewers, listeners (laughs) may have is: How does a spider actually, you know, eat a snake?
0: Uh, One bite at a time. One bite
2: at a time. A nibble. Uh, Well, it's the same way they eat insects. In fact, they inject a digestive enzyme, and they let it turn the inside Uh of the snake to a slurry, and then they oh. Drink oh, it up like a milk it. milkshake.
1: Milkshake. Yeah. I had a milkshake yesterday. Why would you do this to me, Victoria?
0: Mm. Oh. A yeah, oh. milkshake brings all the spiders to the yard. Something like that. I don't know. I hope not. <laughs>
2: and that's what I have today. And that is the end of our Halloween episode. Horrifying. Oh, my
0: gosh. Thank you, Thank you everyone, Victoria. for bringing these amazing, spooky stories on this all hallows eve thank you everyone for listening too and uh if you have some ideas for next year's show something spooky you want to hear be sure to let us know on the social media or at our email address
1: in the meantime everyone have a safe and spooky halloween
0: enjoy your candy thanks everyone for listening to today's show be sure to subscribe New episodes drop every Wednesday, and we love sharing this strange world with all of our listeners. If you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review, that would be great. It lets other lovers of the strange discover the show. You can reach out to us on social media by searching for Strange by Nature Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can send us an email as well. Our address is contact at strangebynaturepodcast.com. If you want more information about the show, you can also check out our website, which is strangebynaturepodcast.com, Until next week, get outside, stay curious, and embrace the strange.